بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما وسلموا اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد الحمد لله this is a very blessed way in which we can um uh, should i say the word celebrate the month of ربيع الاول um the month which is associated with the blessed birth and the maulid of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam what better thing can be done than discussing the seerah and this was in essence how the salafus salihin remembered the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam throughout this month and throughout the whole year in discussing his blessed life and taking noble lessons and remembering him and understanding and becoming closer to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our get together may he make it a means of us becoming closer to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam whereby we earn the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his maghfirah enter into jannah and the companionship of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in jannatul firdaus so this is session number 66 of our series islam's greatest personalities and part 15 of the seerah of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and today specifically we'll be going into looking at and understanding the first verses of revelation uh, because this is where we got to last week and inshallah we will try to understand the the stories and the situation and the circumstances surrounding the first revelation that came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so last week we concluded by saying when people turn away from the worldly means meaning they turn away their reliance away from the worldly means people turn away from the worldly creation and they submit to only allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the quran we find and in the hadith we also learn that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has had this system in the past and this system we will see manifest also in the future as well when a person totally submits to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and takes away their reliance from the creation and from material from things upon people and only allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the entire creation and the world subservient to you he submits the world to you and that kind of becomes under your control and we see an example of this for example towards the end of times the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said la taqumu as-sa'a the final hour won't occur hatta yuqatil al-muslimun al-yahud until the muslimin and the yahud will have a fight and a battle fayaqtuluhum al-muslimun hatta yastabi al-yahudi min wara'i al-hajar wa al-shajar until a person will go the opponent will go and hide behind either a tree or a stone فيقول الحجر او الشجر يا مسلم يا عبد الله هذا يهودي خلفي فتعال فاقتلهم and the stone or the tree will call out oh muslim oh abdullah come he's hiding over here come and get him and even the trees and the stones will speak to the believers illa al-gharqad except for one type of tree which is known as the box 
thorn tree, فَإِنَّهُمْ إِنْ شَجِرِ الْيَهُودِ Because this is one of the trees of the Yahud, that's the tree will, which will not uh, expose them, otherwise all the other trees will. The purpose of mentioning this is, let's come back to where we are. Whilst Rasulullah was being prepared for prophethood, remember the word prepared. Whilst he was being prepared for prophethood, we see how the stones would greet him, the trees would greet him. And Allah made these makhluqat and these creations submit to the Prophet Hadith of Sahih Muslim, Jabir ibn Samura he narrates from the Prophet who said, The Prophet says, I know certain stones before I was made a prophet in Makkah, I still know them. He said, I still remember which stones. You tell me, I'll take you, I'll show you. This stone, this rock, this tree, whenever I used to pass from there, the stone would say to me, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. The tree would say to me, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. Where is this in Sahih Muslim, authentic narration? This is even before he became a prophet. So Allah made some of these creations subservient to him. And he says, Inni Even now, I still know them. I still can pinpoint exactly which stones and which trees they were. Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anhu says, Hadith of Tirmidhi, he says, we would pass by trees, we would pass by stones, we would pass by mountains, and they would say, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. I used to hear it. We used to hear that these creations of Allah would say this to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ibn Hisham, one of the greatest uh, writers of Sirah, where we take majority of our seerah from, he says that when the Prophet ﷺ, in these early days, before Prophet when he would go to answer the call of nature, so at that time, they would go far. They would go in a distance. There was no privacy. There was no built-up, sophisticated uh, bathrooms or toilets made. So they would go far into the distance for privacy. The Prophet ﷺ was gone in a distance. He says that when he would go there, some of the trees, some of the stones would say salam, assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. He's looking around. Who is it? Who is it? Couldn't see anybody? No one on the right, no one in front, no one behind. Where's the sound coming from? Now this is preparing the Prophet for Nubuwa. Otherwise, if it comes all in one go, it becomes a shock. Although he was the greatest, he was the beloved of Allah. At the end of the day, he was a human being, he was a person. And he experienced many of the things that you and I experience as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes him through a gradual process as we will see. Now, when the Prophet sallallahu was given this nubuwa, uh, the first wahi and the revelation came down, there was something else that used to happen prior to him receiving nubuwa. And that is the jinn. What the jinn used to do, the jinn would climb on top of the hadith towers. The jinn would, and they've been doing this for, for centuries. The jinn, they climb on top of each other. So there's one jinn here, another one on top, another one on top. Like this, the jinn climb all the way, all the way to the heavens. And what they do, they eavesdrop. And they listen to the discussions that are taking place in the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the malaika are being given different, different orders. Go here, do this, go here, do that. This will happen there, that will happen over there. This, the weather here is going to be like this. This person is going to have a baby. This person is going to die. This person is going to pass. This person, is, these things are being discussed. The worldly matters are being discussed in the heavens. So the jinn would climb on top of each other. 
and they would try and steal this information, eavesdrop, and they would, and what they would do, so the jinn that gets right to the top and is listening very, very carefully, tries to get this information. When he gets this information, now that information coming from the heavens is true, is hucked 100%. What he does now is the top jinn, he passes that information to the next one. He passes it to the next one. The next time is whispers. Okay, if we all sit in a circle and I was to say something, okay, to brother here, and then he's, by the time it comes round, you know exactly what's going to happen. There might be some element of truth, but the rest of it is going to be all, okay, all a mix-up. So, exactly in the same way, the hadith clearly tells us, by the time it used to come down, now the jinn at the bottom used to have a friend in the world, which you can call a fortune teller. You can call a witch doctor, you can call him whatever you want to call him. We've got funny names for them, okay? You get little cards coming through your door as well. They can solve any problem, okay? A lot of them, they work with the jinn, meaning the shaitan. So and this is something that happened from years back. It's nothing new now. So they have a shaitan. That's what it is. They're working with shaitan. Now, sometimes what happens is these people tell you things and it comes true. This is why it comes true. Because they've got one, the hadith says they have one piece of information which is true. By the time it comes down, there's 99 lies and fabrications, and one thing is true, okay? And then they pass it on there, and this is how they make their trade. And he looks after them, they look after him, okay? And this is how it works. Now, this was until the Prophet ﷺ was given his nubuwa. The time when he was given nubuwa, something happened. Something happened which had not happened before. When the jinn climbed up to the heavens, and they tried to steal. What happened was the shooting star thing and just struck them really hard. And all the jinn fell down. And they tried to do it again and the shooting star came and it stopped them from hearing anything. And this kept happening. So they, when this continued to happen, they came down and they went to Iblis, the king of all the shayateen, and they complained to him. He said, something has happened which has never happened before that we are not being attacked by the shooting star. Now the shooting star was not a new phenomenon. The shooting star, historically, if you study, you will see, it's always existed. It's not as if many people try to imply that the shooting star only came about on this occasion. No. It was always there. But the occurrence of the shooting star became much more frequent because of this reason. So this is now there's a pattern. Now the Quran speaks about it. The Quran says, Allah says, we have decorated the heavens with the stars. With the, this is a zina. This is a decoration. To protect the heavens from this sarka shayateen, meaning these evil mischievous devils. We have made this as a protection. They don't try to eavesdrop and listen to what's being discussed in the Malabul Allah in the high heavens, except that they are struck from all directions. The stripping star comes from different directions and it attacks them. It's like a good punishment for them. Sometimes what happens is sometimes when you're being attacked, okay, when when you've got a system in place where maybe something has been blocked, right? No more people know. No more people can go in here. Whether it's police, whether it's security or guarding the area, right? Nobody else can go now. Or well, the store is closed. Now the security is over here trying to mine this area. Somebody sometimes sneaks in. Okay? Sometimes we do this as well. Okay? You're, you're looking for that moment to try and dodge them. And you go in. So Quran says, Illa man 
somebody sneaks in like that and you see them in the haram, you see this now a lot. In the Haramain, especially now, there's a lot of presence of police, a lot of barriers. Anybody who's been will see so many barriers, so many police. Don't go here, don't go there, go this way, go that way. They're trying to do a lot of crowd control. The intention is good, but people just get frustrated, right? So sometimes you'll see this happening there a lot, right? Nobody else is going there, it's full inside. You can see spaces and no one's going in. By the time the police go this way, some people sneak in from here, some people sneak in from there. So he says, those people who sneak in, The shooting star comes after them, they think they've gone away, the shooting star comes and just knocks them out, they fall back onto the ground. So this is Quran telling us. Now, on a daily average, the shooting stars, there's about 10 trillion shooting stars on a, on a daily basis. Trillion, how many zeros in a trillion? How many? 12. There's 12 zeros in a trillion. So just, just think about that. The Qudra and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from earth, most of this, this is not visible to us. From earth, the visible kind of shooting star. I'm not talking about all of these things that you call the star dust and all of these other things as well. The ones that are uh, visible to us uh, from earth is about 2 million. Meaning there are 2 million of these actually reach closer to the earth's atmosphere. Not to the earth. But close enough that if somebody wants to make an attempt, and you can't see all of them all around the world. However, if somebody uses some kind of uh, device, advanced technology, just to try and really look, you will probably see in an hour, each hour you will probably see eight to nine per hour. Okay, and, and this is something, this is the nidam, this is the system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it always existed. However, since Wahi started coming to the Prophet it just became much more frequent, much more frequent and it became very forceful as well. Before it was happening, it wasn't as forceful. Now there's a greater reason and a purpose. And Quran tells us, Shihabun Thaqib, that the shooting star comes and it's to attack the Shayateen. Now what happened? When they came to Iblis and they complained and they said, Look, this was listen, something major must have happened in the world. Something great must have happened in the world for this to occur. So he sends out a group of jinn to go and search, go and see what's happening. Is there something happening? Go and find out. And they start roaming the earth until a whole group of jinn who went to find out what's the problem, what's the issue, why are we being attacked in the heavens? And they end up coming to where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was reading the Quran. They said we, we went to the heavens and we found it very guarded. Security. It wasn't like that before. Now there's full security. Uh, the jinn they say that before we used to go and we used to listen and we could get so much information. Now anybody tries to go, a shooting star comes. So this is their conversation with Iblis. We're telling Iblis, this is what happened. Iblis sends them all out. They all go out and what happens? A lot of them come back and they say, Surah Al-Jinn in the Quran, 29th verse. 
that the jinn said that we heard this Quran very ajeeb, something we have never heard before like this. Uh, the strange thing that happened, this group of jinn that went to check out what's going on, they ended up accepting, accepting Islam. So they heard the Quran and thought, wow, this is amazing. From today onwards, we believe in Allah. We are never going to be shit Muslim. And they accepted Islam. So a lot of them went and they accepted Islam. Ibn Abbas says, along with the Sahaba, the Prophet was going towards the Suq al uqtaf It was a market on the famous markets of Arabia. And that is where the incident took place of the shooting star. Uh, and the jinn were coming. And the Prophet was in a place leading Salatul Fajr in a place called Nakhla. He was leading Salatul Fajr, beautiful recitation of the Quran. The jinn, they came to find out what's the issue, what's the event, and they heard the recitation, and many of them accepted Islam. And then they went back and invited other jinn as well to accept Islam. So that is just uh, the beginning of Nabuwa. Now, another topic that we discuss at this time is the dreams. This is another thing the Prophet and the Anbiya were given dreams. Ibrahim saw so dream, didn't he? We speak about it, we're all familiar. Ibrahim saw so a dream. In the dream, what did he see? He's sacrificing his son. Now, the dream of a Nabi is Wahi, is what we understand. The dream of a Nabi is Wahi, it's revelation. So, he saw this in the dream. You didn't know it's only a dream. No, this dream was shown to him. He saw it regularly and then he carried out the dream. Uh, and similarly, the Prophet ﷺ was shown various dreams. Rasulullah ﷺ was shown the place of migration. He was shown where he's going to migrate. He was shown to him. It's a place with date palm trees. Rasulullah ﷺ, when he was in Medina and Makkah was occupied at that time, he saw a dream. He's making uh, tawaf of the Kaaba. They're doing Umrah with the Sahaba. That was a dream. And the Prophet ﷺ, and he, he said, Sahaba, let's go, we're going for Umrah. The dream didn't say they're going to do Umrah that year, but he saw the dream. And this is Wahi, Allah is informing him. Similarly, the Prophet saw various dreams. So the dream of a Nabi is Wahi. Now, prior to receiving, now Wahi that we understand, revelation. When Jibreel came to the Prophet with the Quran, was he sleeping or was he awake? Was he sleeping or was he awake? Hmm? Sleeping or awake? Awake. Of course he was awake. He wasn't asleep. When Wahi came in the cave of Hira, he wasn't sleeping. Many of most of the time afterwards when Wahi came. So remember, imagine somebody who has never had this experience before. Right? All of a sudden, for an angel to come, and to first appear, right? Imagine you're sitting in your room at home and randomly some, some being disappears, okay? Probably wet the bed, okay? Or you, you go crazy. You run out of the house, you scream. Even if somebody's telling you, don't worry, I'm your friend, okay? I, I, I want to be friends with you. No, this, so, and, and, and not only that, one is, one is, for example, somebody having an encounter with something like a jinn. This was no jinn. This was an angel. This was no angel. This was Jibreel. Jibreel, 
Okay, Jibril himself, in his original form, if he was here 600 wings, one wing will be enough to cover the whole of the world. This is how big Jibril is. Not, not a small issue. Not like some small jinn. Okay, this is Jibril, Ruhul Amin, Ruhul Qudus. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Jibreel very highly, the, the, the greatest of all angels. And what was he bringing? What, what was the message? Well, the Quran. The Quran is not somebody's, is not Jibreel speaking. This is the word and the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for Jibreel to appear to Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a wakeful state, all of a sudden, this would have been something beyond him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepares him. This is all preparation. So what happens now is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, already we spoke about the stones and the trees and the rocks making salam to him. Now we find that he started seeing these dreams. And awwalu ma budiya bihi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min al-wahi al-ru'ya saliha fi al-nawm. Fakana la yara ru'ya illa ja'at bitu falatissu. Sahih al-Bukhari right in the beginning is a very interesting narration. The Prophet his nubuwa and his Prophet with the first part of him ex being exposed to this idea of wahi, right, is he started seeing dreams. And these dreams were very true, vivid dreams. They were ambiguous. They were like, like confusing dreams. Very clear. And the hadith gives a description like the, 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 the dawn. You know when you wake up in the morning and it's light, right? And you can see, you, it's very clear. There was nothing uncertain about what, So basically, what he would see in the dream, he would see happening. Like, it was very, very clear. So these true dreams he started to see. And some scholars mentioned that this happened for six months consecutively. Consecutively for six months. How long was he a prophet for? Of course, he's a universal prophet until Qiyam. But prophethood lasted for, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam got prophethood at the age of 40 until 63. So how many years? 23, everybody is familiar with this. So the first six months of his nubuwa, we find that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is seeing these true dreams. And there's one hadith that mentions that there is nothing left of prophethood now. Like you can't become a prophet, nobody can become a prophet. The prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the final prophet. Uh, but in terms of aspects of prophethood, take one small aspect, one aspect there, one aspect there, a combination of all of these things make prophethood. But if we want to take one register or one file from the many files of prophethood, we can find one aspect we find that was, uh, we found in the prophets was seeing these true dreams. So the Prophet wasallam said that these true dreams are a 46th part of Nabuwa, 46th part of Nabuwa. How do we work out 46th part? Double the 23. How's that 46? No, that's, that's, no, we're saying 46th part. So how long was he a prophet? 23 years. And how long did he see the true dreams? Six months. There you go. Yeah? No? Six months after 23 years is a 46th. So this is how the Prophet said that these true dreams that people will see are a 46th part of the world. That doesn't mean if you see a true dream, you become a Nabi. 
Okay? And we're going to speak about Nabi. And can a person become a Nabi? Of course you can't. The Prophet didn't even know that he's becoming a Prophet. He didn't have a desire to become a Prophet. He didn't feel enough form to become a Nabi. Like some, a lot of people claim, claim Prophet. Okay? It's not something that ever happened, ever. Um, so this is all divine, chosen by Allah, selection, Allah chooses. It, 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 it's not, you know, you can't just go and apply for this role. Hadith of Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet says that towards the end of times, a time is going to come when a believer's dream will like be true. A believer will see a lot of true dreams. And the more truthful you are, the more truthful and uh, real your dream is going to be. So this is also a sign of the truthfulness of the Prophet What is one of his titles? As-Sadiq. So this, again, it connects here. He was a very truthful. People say, like, why him? Why was he chosen? He was As-Sadiq already. And As-Sadiq, we find the hadith mentions towards the end of time, this is going to happen. So imagine if he's seeing it, then how truthful must he have been? As-Sadiq al-Masluq sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now Allah blessed him with him, with his, وَأَسْلَقُهُمْ رُؤْيَا أَسْلَقُهُمْ حَدِيثًا The one who speaks the truth the most, their dreams will be the most truthful. Um, now, the age and the date of prophethood. Let's just identify this and then we'll move on to the actual incident of the first wahi. So, what day did the Prophet ﷺ receive prophethood? Let's work out the day first. So, the Prophet ﷺ already tells us this in a hadith of Sahih Muslim. Uh, the fact that he used to fast on Monday. Somebody asked him, why do you fast on a Monday? Hadith of Sahih Muslim, Fihi wulidtu wa fihi unzila alayya. Very clear, he said, on a Monday I was born, and this is why I fast, because I was born, I'm showing thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon my mawlid, upon my birth, that's I fast on a Monday. He said it, I'm not saying it, okay? And also he said, this is the day when wahi came upon me, which ulama says referring to the first revelation. So, Monday, was the day he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was granted prophet. Very interesting information. This is regarding our Nabi and our deen. So on Monday he is given uh, Nubuwa. Which month? The difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Many scholars actually say it was this Rabi'ul Awwal. The month of Rabi'ul Awwal is the month in which the Wahid came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first when we're speaking about the incident of Hira and Iqra Bismi Rabbikal Ladi Khalaq. Other scholars say it was Ramadan. They both have their evidence. Those who say Ramadan, they say Quran says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. That Ramadan is the month in which Quran was revealed. And the Quran was revealed, meaning over here, Iqra ismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. And those who say Rabi'i al-Awwal, they also have the same opinion that they say no, it happened then. But the scholars say no. This could be referring to the whole Quran being revealed from Baytul from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the heavens of the world, so the lowest heaven, coming down in its entirety. Some say that happened in Laylatul Qadr. Some say that Laylatul Qadr wasn't Ikra Bismi Rabbikal It was the entire Quran came down in one go on that night or in Rabi'il Awwal. And then slowly, slowly over a 23 year period, different, different verses came down. So both of these opinions are there. Uh, Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalani rahmatullahi he has combined the two. He said the true dream started in Rabi'il Awwal and the Wahi came in Ramadan. So this is how he's put the both together. 
So, so the dreams that he started to see, remember he started seeing dreams. This started from the real world. And then in Ramadan, uh, this is when the Quran was first revealed. Okay, if we take Ramadan, which is the common opinion, which date? So various dates have been mentioned. Some have mentioned the 7th, 7th of Ramadan. Others have said no, it was the 17th of Ramadan. Others have mentioned 18th of Ramadan and also 21st of Ramadan. These are the dates that have been mentioned. Uh, and in the Hadith of Sahih Muslim, it mentions the 21st of Ramadan. Now, historically, if we take the calendar and we go back to the year 610, and we, we need to look at Monday because Monday we've got Halabi. Monday, the Prophet himself tells us it was a Monday. So if we go back to the year 610 and we look at Mondays in the month of Ramadan, every single Monday, and we look at the dates, so we find Monday that year, the first Monday of Ramadan in the year 610 was the 7th. The second Monday was 14th. The third one was 21st, fourth one was 28th. So based on this, a lot of the scholars are of the opinion that it was the 21st of Ramadan, where the first wahi was received by the Prophet This coincides with many of the ahadith that indicate 21st is Laylatul Qadr also, and other uh, discussions that take place after that as well. According to the solar calendar, that would then coincide with Monday, the 10th of August, year 610, Monday the 10th of August. So if anybody wanted to know that, that's also something to know because this is, these are the months we normally use. We only know the Islamic calendar, Islamic dates when it's Ramadan and Eid and possibly Hajj time. Actually, just now somebody messaged me saying, um, has the moon been sighted? So some people are concerned. The Prophet's age at the time of receiving prophethood. What was his age? Was his exact age? So 40 years, how many months? 40 years, 6 months, 12 days, to be being precise. 40 years, 6 months, 12 days. Now the Prophet remember last session we said that he began to desire to spending time alone. That bit was made beloved to him, just being alone, spending time away from everybody. So he would go from home, take some rations with him, and he would go to this mountain called the Jabal and Noor, mountain of Noor. At the top, there was a small opening, which we refer to the cave of Hira. And in this cave of Hira, the Prophet would go there and remain there for days on end. The hadith mentions days on end consecutive days and nights, he would just remain in there. We spoke about him uh, worshipping as well and how he worshipped. So, the hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, narrated by mother of the believer, Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that the Prophet for many, many days, he would remain in this cave of Hira. On one of these occasions, when he was in the cave of Hira, Jibreel alayhi salam appeared. Now the hadith doesn't give much detail, this particular hadith, doesn't give much detail about how and in what form. This is Jibril appeared to him and told the Prophet read. And the Prophet responded by saying, I am not one that reads. Uh, and Jibril squeezed the Prophet. He squeezed him so hard that the Prophet felt pain. It was painful. 
he squeezed him uh, to, to, the, to the max, you could say. Like, he couldn't squeeze him anymore. Uh, beyond that would have been life-threatening. So he squeezed him really hard. And then it released him. And then he told him again to read. And the Prophet wasallam responded by saying, Ma'ana I am not one who reads. I'm not a person who's read. Um, and, and he squeezed him again for the second time. And then the third time it happened again. And then this hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, mother of the believer Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anharik, she mentions three verses we're reading. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram. Up to here, in this one hadith. Now we'll continue from here and we'll come back to this. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after receiving the wahi, the hadith goes on to say, he was fearing for his life. He was scared. He was terrified. He had a lot of anxiety at this time. Because number one, he's not, although that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing him through dreams, through the stalls of Hajar and the Shajar and everything, making salam. Despite that, this was a total new experience. Never seen anything like this before. Never expected anything like this before. Never desired anything like this before. Had he been wanting to be a Nabi, okay, he, this, this kind of would have been, but no, over here, it's very, very clear. He said, was totally taken aback. He was, he was by surprise. He, he wasn't expecting, he wasn't going to think where something's going to happen. Like many people start doing dhikr and they like waiting for something to happen. Okay, uh, to see some flashing lights or something like that, or start spinning around or whatnot. Because they've heard other people, you know, so maybe they watch too many YouTube videos. It wasn't like that. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was going there because he had concern. What he saw around wasn't quite right. And he had this desire inside him um, to see and seek the truth himself and for the other people. And he was connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The story goes on in this particular hadith where she says that he came running home. He rushed back home. And he came to his wife, Khadija radiallahu anhu. Zambiluni, Zambiluni. Other verses, other places mentioned. Dathiruni, Dathiruni. Cover me, cover me. Cover me, cover me. And Khadija radiallahu anha covered him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, settled him down. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then informed her of what had transpired. And he mentioned specifically, after saying what happened, I'm fearing for my life. Like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Like, this is, it's, it was scary. And what if it happens again? All of these, and especially more so, the scholars mentioned more so, it was in relation to what he was now being told to do. The responsibility he's being carried, asked to carry out. How am I going to do it? Right? So, Khadija radiallahu anha consoled him by saying, that Allah would never do that to you. Meaning what you're fearing, that this is gonna kind of end your life, or you're not gonna be able to do it, or you're gonna become a loser, or you're going to, uh, you're not going to be able to see through this, or it's gonna impact you in a way where you're going to become incapable. Khadija radiallahu anha says, Allah will never do that to you. You're too good of a person. And then she went over some of the blessed traits of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Innaka you will join ties. You're really good with joining family relations. 
you carry other people's burdens. You people who can't earn, you like go out of your way, you'll, you'll earn on their on their behalf and you'll go and give money to them. You'll help them, you'll support them. But if you're very hospitable to your guests, any causes of good, any good causes, whether people have been struck by a natural disaster or anyone who needs any kind of help, you're the one there standing up for people's rights and to serve them justice. You're too good of a person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not allow these efforts of yours to go in vain. It will not be wasted. Uh, so what you're fearing, okay, is not true. Is not, uh, is, is not real. And Khadija radiallahu speaks to him in this way. Also, the hadith mentions that she took him. So not only did she console him, she also took him to his cousin, Waraqa bin Nawfal, who had become a Christian. He was able to read, he was able to write, he was even writing Hebrew as well. Very, he'd become very old at this time, and the narration mentioned he also had become blind. So when he heard the story of what had happened, he said that this is the same angel that came to Musa alayhi salam, and he also added, I wish I would live to see these days when you actually go out and you preach your message. Uh, and, and, and I wish I was young and you know, I'd be by your side. I would support you. I would stand by you. I'd be your greatest fan, your biggest supporter. And I would, I would just really support your cause and I'd just be with you if I could. If I was young, look at me now, I'm all blind. But if, if I could, I'd, just, I'd be with you. Many of the scholars say that he could potentially be the first Sahabi because this exclamation of his uh, was an indication of him accepting him as a Nabi. Some have accepted him as a Sahabi, some haven't. We'll speak about that later on. Um, now, Waraka bin Nafu said a few things to him. And the, he said to him that, you know, especially at the time when the people are going to... So he said a, a list of things to him. He said that people are going to cause you grief. People are going to cause you grief. The Prophet listened. He said that the people are going to deny you. They're going to deny you. They're not going to believe what you say. He didn't say anything. And then he said, the time is going to come. They're going to drive you out of Mecca. This is when he spoke. He said, really? And your birthplace is normally some, somewhere you love because all your memories are there. And more so for the Prophet because the Kaaba was there. The Haram of Allah was there. And there were many other blessings there as well. So really? So when, when he was told the other thing, he didn't say it. But when he said this part, that's when the Prophet spoke out. And he said, really? Oh, Mukhriji, they're really going to take me out. They're going to drive me out of my... And Waraqa bin Nawfal said that whenever anybody has come with a message like this, a message of the truth, they've always faced hostility. People have always opposed. This is, this is the norm. This is the norm. This is the how things work. It, it, it's, it's, it's strange how we've got used to so much comfort and so much ease. Like, have you ever heard that a prophet came into his people and they're like, they rolled out a red carpet? Or even so, okay, red carpet is like, you know, we hear it's like a metaphor. Have you even like, for example, this, you know, scholar comes to our masjid, okay, you put a chair for them, you ask them to speak, you put, ask them to go to the front. Did you ever hear that a prophet went to his people and the people were kind of kind and generous to them and respected them that much so that they ushered them towards the front. They, they put them on a pedestal at least. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. You hear the total opposite. And that was the norm of this kind of message, this kind of word. 
and we've got it so easy today. And when some things happen a little bit here and there, okay, we start losing our minds. Anyone say something? This was the norm. He was told from day one, Waraka bin Nawfal prepared him. Okay? Waraka bin Nawfal prepared him. Khadija prepared him. Waraka bin Nawfal prepared him. Look, this is what you're going to expect. Take it out of your mind from now that it's going to be easy. You're, you're going to be, you're, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to face people that will deny you. They'll actually just outright call you a liar. That, no, what you're saying is a total lie. Even though you are the most truthful, Allah is telling you. Despite that, right? How do we feel when people like deny us? Right? That's one thing. Then they're going to persecute you, physically assault you. This is, he's saying people are going to physically assault you. They're not just going to call you names. They're going to physically, they're going to beat you up. Right? And then, so much so, they're going to drive you out. This is, this is how severe it's going to be. So we'll come back to this inshallah. Uh, and then Waraka said, you know, um, I will support you. And the hadith, Bukhari, hadith of Bukhari is very interesting. It says that very soon after this, Waraka passed away. He died. Um, and Wahi also stopped as well temporarily. So two things happened. So Waraka bin Nawfal dies, and the Wahi also stopped. So we've spoken about three verses that came down, according to this narration. And then Wahi stops temporarily. How long did it stop? We'll go into that, inshallah. Now, um, Ibn Hisham mentions over here that Jibreel alayhi salam brought with him a silken cloth. And on this was written, Iqra bismi rabbika And he was told to read. But the, the narration Ibn Hisham mentions, he mentions also, this was whilst I was asleep. Do you remember I asked you in the beginning, did this incident happen whilst he was awake or asleep? And you said it happened whilst he was awake. Of course, this is what happened. Wahi came down in Hira whilst the Prophet was awake. And this is something that's never happened before. So to prepare him for this, he was seeing these dreams. So the narration of Ibn Hisham apparently contradicts the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. Because Bukhari and Muslim mentioned the hadith saying he was awake at that time. And he saw Jibreel and he was told to recite. So Imam Suhaili Rahmatullahi mentions that maybe both of these things happened. Where in the past, the Prophet was shown a dream. So again, he's being prepared gradually. So in a dream, Jibreel shows him this silken cloth. So he's seen this. And then now Jibreel comes in, in, in his form. In, in, once the Prophet is awake. And this is to get him accustomed and used to the idea of wahi and revelation. Now, this hadith of Aisha anha is very interesting. There are so many things that are mentioned. And we're going to kind of break it up and go into each segment and understand this better. Because this is us trying to understand the first wahi and the first revelation. Uh, so, that's number one, first of all. Revelation. Revelation in itself. So this hadith is about revelation, about wahi. And the purpose of this narration itself is to show us... Okay, I'll tell you what it's not... What, what isn't the purpose? The purpose of this narration wasn't to show us how many verses came down. That is not what Aisha was trying to do. She was giving an overview of the whole story. Um, so, over here, there's three ayat mentioned. However, there's another hadith of Sahih Bukhari, which mentions five verses. 
the scholars have taken this that it was five verses that were revealed. So this wasn't an exhaustive list. She was going through the whole story. That's the narration mentions three. So Itra ismi rabbika ladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, ikra wa rabbuka al-akram. That's where three verses are. Alladhi allama bil qalam, allama al-insana ma'alam ya'alam. There's also another reason the scholars have mentioned why there's three in one and five mentioned in the other. We'll go into that very shortly. Number one. So that's the first thing we see. Number two, the second thing we learn from this particular hadith is the insight of Khadija. Her intelligence. Who was this woman? How amazing was this woman? And even people at that time, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had inspired from amongst them, Khadija chosen to be the first wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, this incident that took place, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was taken aback. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is very, very clear. He was extremely frightened and worried. In his own words, he says it himself, that was khashitu ala nafsi and other words we can see. His anxiety levels were very high because it's happened once, or if it happens again, how am I going to survive it? What's going to happen? What, what just happened there? Okay, all of these things were going through his mind at that time. We see Khadija, how do you deal with someone who's having a panic attack? Someone who has just had a traumatic experience, somebody who is frightened, how do you deal with somebody like that? Khadija normally what happens is when somebody comes to us, okay, and they're in a state, whether they're crying, whether they're upset, whether they're angry, people have ups and downs. Normally our approach with them is we start bombarding them with questions. What happened? Tell me, tell me everything. Tell me from the beginning, why are you saying anything? Come on, speak. How, how, how do you expect me to help you if you don't speak? Okay, and we do this with everybody. We do this with children as well. Khadija radiallahu teaches us a very important lesson. She didn't ask even one question. Nothing. She did not ask a single question here. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she looked at him and she judged from the situation. He's not in the situation to talk at the moment. She did what was right. What did he need right now? What did he need? No, you, you need to know what's happened. But what does he need? I need to know what's happened. But that's not important now. Because I'm not in a state, I'm okay. I need to look at the opposite person. So what state was he in? What was he asking for? Consoling. This one. Priority. Quickly, he goes. She goes and she covers him. And there's also another hadith that mentions that pour water over me. Pour water over me. And this is what she focused on. And then what happens is she gave him what we call today a safe space. This is terminologies that people are introducing. He was comforted. He was consoled. He was calm. Once he was calm, then Khadija radiallahu anha um, then started speaking to him and allowed him to then share whatever he was comfortable with sharing. And then Khadija radiallahu dealt with it. Um, so it's very interesting to learn and see her way of thinking and how intelligent she was and understanding how human being works. Um, so that was the second thing. The third thing that we learned from this hadith is messengership, prophethood is God-given. It's not something you can apply for. It's not something you can become a candidate for and get votes. It's not something you can just try and earn through your efforts. It's totally, 
totally God-given. Even Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who is the greatest, the Imam, the leader, the crown of all prophets, even his messengership, his prophethood, wasn't something that he earned or attained himself. And it's very clear. Number one, just look, look at this incident. Fear, worry, anxiety. All of this that we see the Prophet experiencing on this occasion is a strong indication to show that he wasn't desiring this. When you're desiring something, when you're desiring, you really want something, even if it's terrifying, okay, you're going to act really brave about it because you really want it. You want to make sure that it's given to you. If you're applying for a job, right, and inside you're frightened, you're really nervous, but you have to show yourself, no, I can do it, I'm the right man for the job. Here the Prophet ﷺ, we learned that there was no prior desire in him because some of the Orientalists have twisted this whole incident to show that this is something that he was racing for. He was trying to become superior amongst his people and he wanted this, he tried for this. And then that's when they, then from there they go on to saying that you know, he, he created the Quran, he did this, he did that. So over here we see Prophet never anticipated, he wasn't, you know, we're talking about dreams, but he wasn't even in his wildest dream that one day I'm going to become a prophet. Never, never desired it, never wanted it, never knew anything about it. And the Quran is very clear in telling us this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself chose him and we understand that Prophet Bud didn't fulfill one of his desires also. This is what some of the Orientalists have said. That upon receiving it, that was one of his goals. You know, people have goals and aspirations in life. I want to become this. I want to do this. So they said, look, by him getting this revelation, that was one thing ticked off his bucket list. Basically, that's what they're trying to say. He wasn't like that. He wasn't on his list. He wasn't even aware of it. So, it, and, and number one. Number two, it's not as if that he kind of, this was like, um, yes, he was... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him a very lofty position uh, which again he wasn't aware of that until Allah told him and instructed him about it but this wasn't just an authority this was a huge huge responsibility huge responsibility um, and it was suddenly given to him given to him suddenly never crossed his mind prior to this and his reaction shows that he wasn't somebody who was just waiting next in line okay when the queen dies King Charles is going to come onto the stage. He wasn't like that. He wasn't waiting for it whatsoever. Um, also, the words like, for example, when he said, I'm fearing for my life. When he said to Khadija, if he had prior knowledge to it, he would have said, I'm, I'm scared, I'm worried. You know, he'd, he'd know, oh, this is, this is what he entails. This is, this is the role and this is what he entails. You know, I'm going to just, you know, just stick it out and see. What we do see though, from the Prophet ﷺ, was a very natural human response. A very natural human response of fear, of anxiety, of worry, of just being frightened. And the fear and the anxiety here was more so to do with carrying out this responsibility carrying out this huge responsibility uh, how do we understand now this is how do we understand that the fear was in relation to the responsibility and it wasn't just about the scene and the spectacle of Jibreel we understand it from the way Khadija consoles him 
when he comes back and says laqad khushit wala nafs and the way she responds to him it's very interesting is what she says basically he's trying to say and we go through this a lot in life as well i don't think i can do this i don't think i'm the right person for this and you have self doubt for example self doubt very common self doubt imposter syndrome person thinks that i'm not me okay i can't do it how am i going to do it and everybody goes through this at some point some stage okay um, I'm not the right person for the job. I can't do it. It's not about me. How am I going to do it? The Prophet's fee on this occasion was in regards to how am I, me, going to carry out this huge task of taking the name of Allah to the whole world? Basically, that's what we've asked. To try and take people away from the way of the hellfire and invite them towards Jannah, invite them towards good, turn them away from evil. How am I going to do such a great thing? And sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you just blacklist yourself. You become your worst critic. Khadija radiallahu on this occasion starts telling him who he really is. You're not like what you think you are. You're putting yourself down. No. Oh my husband, oh my beloved husband. You, you're really good at this. You join relationships, okay? And you help people out. You're already doing things like this. Like this really sets with you really well. You're supporting people. You have a desire to help people. You always have, you're a well-wisher for people. Like what you're explaining, what you're expected to do and what you're already doing, it kind of goes hand in hand. This is the right thing for you. And sometimes you need somebody to tell you this. And this is what Khadija radiallahu did on this occasion. So she says this and she comforts him. And not only that, she took him to her cousin Waraqa bin Nawfal and Waraqa bin Nawfal we know was the cousin of the Prophet of Khadija radiallahu anha and uh, he also consoled him as well uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam seen Jibreel alayhi salam in the wakeful state so he's awake so he saw Jibril alayhi salam in a wakeful state. And this is something also that no human being has control over, including the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So do you know how you've got people like Qadiani, for example, and all of these others who've claimed a fake imposters who claim to be Nabis, right? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi this hadith answers a lot of these questions. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi himself did not have the ability to just press a button or dial a number or just to even desire, Jibreel, come on, I need to talk to you. Okay, no, that didn't happen. And this, there's so many numerous incidents. Like the, him seeing him on this occasion was all of a sudden. He didn't expect it. It happened without out of his control. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is, um, Jibreel seeing angels, wahi, it's beyond the realm of this world. It's not a worldly matter. You can't just create this kind of idea or this phenomenon. It's beyond the realm of this world. And it's divine. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Human beings, including prophets, don't have any control, don't have any impact, don't have any influence on the wahi. It's solely from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Jibreel alayhi salam squeezing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam three times and releasing him uh, and telling him Iqra is also in support of this as well. 
It's also in support of accepting this that wahi is totally external, it's an external matter. It's an external, it's nothing to do with your inner. Meaning, even the Prophet can't desire inside that. Uh, can wahi come down now? It's not necessarily going to come down. There were many occasions where the Prophet wanted wahi to come down, but he didn't. And he waited. He waited. People taunted him, people asked him questions. So I'm going to wait. Because this is a system that he was taught that wahi is totally external. Nothing to do with the inner state of a human being. Even a prophet cannot press a button and desire for the wahi to come. He can desire it, but that doesn't mean it's going to come. No control over the wahi, only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jibreel went once. Jibreel didn't come for a long time. 14 days, some scholars mentioned. When he did come, this is what first he said. We do not come down except with the command of your Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I can't just come down when I want to. Allah sends me, I come. Allah says, don't go, I don't go. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, like this we send down to you our Jibreel. You didn't, prior to this, you didn't know what the book was, what the Quran was. What faith was Walakin Jaalnahu Nura Nahdi Bihi Mannashahu Min Ibadina Wakar wa innakana tahdi ila salatin mustaqim. We desired for this nur to come down. We desired for this to come into your heart. We desired for this wahi to come, thus it came down. So it's totally reliant on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we find in the hadith the Prophet responded each time to Jibreel by saying, Ma'anabikari, I am not one that reads, I am not a reader, I am not someone who has read. Some people say it, they translate it as being uh, literate. So let's understand what it means. So this was also the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Rasulullah did not seek, nor was he provided any type of worldly formal education by anybody. And this was known by everybody in Mecca. No formal worldly education, reading, writing, going to school or whatever the system was at the time. This is something the Prophet didn't seek nor was he provided. And everybody knew this. Like he wasn't somebody that would read, wasn't somebody that would write. Every, this was known. And this is why he responded each time by saying, Ma You're asking me to read. I don't know how to read. That's not something I've learned to do. Uh, I'm not literate, in other words, um, some people don't like using that word. The Quran explains the wisdom also of this very beautifully. That prior to this, you never read any book. You never read, you couldn't read any book. And nor did you write with your hand. Allah says, had you been a person who knew how to read? Had you been a person? Some people might be thinking, why did Allah do that to the Prophet that reading and writing for us is something so basic? Okay? Here Allah gives the hikmah and the wisdom for this. Had you been somebody who was a person that wrote or was reading and writing, the people of falsehood, the people who have corruption in their hearts, they would have doubted you. They would have said, well, maybe he wrote it with his own hands. Maybe he's done this. Maybe he read the books in the past and he's copied some of the things from there and he just put it down over here. So even the people didn't say it, people still did say that. But you, you knew that that's not true. Everybody knew that he wasn't somebody who had had any formal education. 
everybody in his community knew. Not only did everybody know, this was a concept which was in the previous scriptures, in the Torah, Allah mentioned this. The preparation for this wahi, this type of wahi, and the fact that the Prophet ﷺ is going to be so truthful that for anybody, not just the Yahud and the Nasara, even the Mushrikeen for them, even they would have to believe in his truthfulness because the Torah mentioned as the Quran says, He was referred to as Al Nabi Al Ummi. The Prophet that did not read and write in the Torah and in the Injil as well. So from then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had prepared the minds of the people. And this remained the case throughout his life. Throughout his whole life, the Prophet did not read a word. and did not write a single word. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intentionally kept the Prophet in this state. Had he written, he would have given a reason to the people of falsehood to say, mm, maybe he wrote it with his own hands. He made this book up. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept him uh, free from this. Imam Suhaili rahmatullahi mentions very interestingly, he says, Allah says in the Quran, Iqra bismi rabbik. Iqra bismi rabbik. Read in the name of your Lord. Up until now, what was happening was for Iqra, read. So I, I don't know how to read. Iqra read, I don't know how to read. Iqra read, I don't know how to read. Then he was so Iqra bismi rabbik. Read in the name of your Lord, which indicates that O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the reading that we're telling you to do, you are not going to read through your own strength, through your own knowledge, but only through the grace of Allah. Bismi in the name, read in the name of Allah. We're not telling you to read, looking and reading. Read Bismi Rabbik in the name of Allah. Through Allah's power, not your power, because he wasn't one that read. And that's when he started reading afterwards. Iqra Bismi Rabbik. Uh, through the blessing of Allah's name and with his help He is the one who's going to educate you directly. So this was a difference now with other people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now telling him that Allah is going to educate him Directly just like he created you look at the ayah is what he's saying Read in the name of your Lord who created you. Allah, Allah is saying to him, just like Allah created you, Allah is going to educate you. Nobody else. Nobody else in the world has this privilege to say that I taught Muhammad how to read out right now. Nobody. Allah is saying, I created you. So there's the, the five verses that came down. The first three are for the, the Prophet and the last two, verse 4 and 5, are for the Ummah. So, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I am not asking you to read through your own knowledge and own strength, because I know you don't know how to read. I am telling you, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, read in the name of Allah, meaning with His help. When we say Bismillah, what are we saying? Not just the name of name meaning what? What does the name of Allah do? He gives you Allah's help, assistance, barakah, grace, rahmah. This is what we're asking. The name of Allah, He carries all of this. So read, relying on Allah, Allah's going to give you this power. The one who created you, just like He created you, He's going to educate you. And then what does He say? Khalaqal insana min alaq. 
How did he, he created the human being from a clot of blood? First we were a clot of blood. Now remember what happened with the Prophet That clot, when his chest we spoke about, the, the splitting of the chest. And what was taken out was a part of shaitan. Allah took it out. Allah is reminding him. Just like Allah removed that part of you, the shaitan, taken out of you, Allah is going to educate you now. He's going to fill your heart with the nur of the Quran. That there's no longer the shaitan part inside you. It was taken out. I'm gonna you don't worry about it. You don't worry, I don't know how to read. I'm gonna make you read. I'm going to make you recite rather than saying read. Recite. You will be a reciter. And so the first three verses, Ikra Bismi Rabbikaladi Khalaq, Khalaqal Insana Mil Alaq, Ikra Warabbukal Akram. These three verses are for the Prophet. Read because your Lord is Al Akram, the one who is the most noble, the most was the most karam. And then he says, the one who taught mankind with the pen. Now, time doesn't allow, we've got more discussion here uh, to go into, but time doesn't allow. Inshallah, we'll continue from here in the next week's session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq on the true love of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alayhi